Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I'm the host with the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and it's an absolute honor to welcome back today the funny and talented Stephen Allen Green. How are you, Stephen? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I we haven't really talked much since COVID started. So how how have you? How did you get through? And how are you getting through currently uh, the COVID pandemic? Well, first of all, I don't remember talking very much to you at all. <laughs> uh, well, that's just age. I want to give your listeners that you're in touch with everybody. I'm behind it. Uh, in answer to your question, um, you know, uh, I survived it, literally survived it. It was a pretty unique situation that I was in, uh, unique compared to everyone else I knew. Uh, and... Uh, I still feel like I'm in it, and I think it's changed me uh, forever. That sucks. Yeah, I'm totally well, you're over assuming it. it's changed me for the worse when you said that sucks. Unless you don't <laughs> care about my well-being. Well, no, of I course. Think, I, I think it's. I think it. it I, you know, it forced it forced me to basically uh, reevaluate a lot of things, which you know. I was needing to reevaluate, and uh, and the writer side of me felt, hey, this is great. I'm, you know, I can stay home and write and get these things done. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it's We're not thinking. It. <laughs> well, no, I'm, you know, I'm understanding, but it's just, it's messed up because I had kind of the same thought about, man, I can get some great interviews during this crap. Everyone's going to be at home. They're not going to be working. What da 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 da. But I did. I don't felt like I got great interviews at all last year. I mean, I had great interviews, but I didn't get the kind of caliber of guests I thought I would. Right. Well, that's another thing that I've learned is you know I used to. I sort of lived for years by uh, you know, I've had a lot of advisors tell me you know lower your expectations. That's why you're so frustrated all the time. Lower your expectations. And I finally realized not just lower, but get rid of all expectations. <laughs> and I, I think that's been very good for me. It's been a good mantra. Um, and, you know, I've I just been very disappointed in people in general, even before the oh, uh, wow. pandemic. And uh, got to do some house cleaning in terms of my inventory <laughs> of friends and, yeah. and people I do business with. And, you know, n no no anger towards anybody, but you know, I, that just doesn't work for me. Good luck. That kind of thing. Yeah, I understand. It's just, you know, you, I think also yeah, during alien. stuff, during things like this, you can really figure out uh, someone's true colors. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the key. That's it. That That's really it. And, you know, I'm, you know, I live in the world of Hollywood, which oh, yeah. is just, you know, filled with liars and flakes and people that don't know they're lying and don't think they're flaking. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I just, as I get older, I just have less and less time to waste of my own. And, you know, even if it's someone who wants to help me in my career and, you know, says to me, you know, let me, let me see what I can do and let's talk in, in three weeks, you know, that, that gives me a little bit, you know, hope. Yeah. And then when they don't even, then they never talk to me again. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, 
I feel kind of like, you know, you've taken something from me that I wasn't, that, that was mine. You know, you've taken my time and you've taken my my goodwill. Anyway, I listen, this is a negative conversation. <laughs> Let's make it more positive. Um, but anyway, next question. I was just getting to that. I was going to say, don't feel bad because it was at least 2013, if not before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was in San Francisco then. Yeah, I believe you were. Uh, That was an interesting time. Uh, So, carry on with your questions. Well, how did... uh, Yeah, how did did all this start for you? Where did you, or when did you decide you wanted to get into, like, comedy or into the entertainment industry altogether? Well, those are two separate questions. I uh, I grew up in a family, uh, two parents who had dipped their toes in showbiz, and World War II and raising a family took over. So they were stage parents, and so I was put into acting class when I was three or four, and I did a TV commercial when I was five. And I grew up in uh, Beverly Hills, which was the showbiz town in the entire country, really. And, you know, everyone, kid. Every friend, parent was a star or a showbiz executive or something. So you just grew up around it. I grew up around it. And um, jumping forward from that to about 20 years, I um, I was a musician most of my life. I was, you know, a drummer and oh, wow. uh, a singer-songwriter on the guitar. That's where I was focused. And I was running a... Uh, a music night, a sign-up music night, an open mic for music, and other act in Hollywood. And so I'd sing my songs and bring up, the, you know, bring up our next guy, that kind of thing. And uh, because even though I'm a good singer, I mean, I just happen to be blessed with, uh, you know, a two and a half octave uh, range, and I know music. Um, I was never confident that people were even paying attention to the songs. So in between mm-hmm. the songs, I would joke around. And then there were a couple of comedians who came into this thing and said, you know, you should go to the comedy store. And I go, what are you talking about? What's that? So I went down to the comedy store in 81. And I just basically cobbled all the, all the good bits that worked between the songs into an act, left the songs out, and auditioned and got hired on the spot. And uh, that's kind of the beginnings of me doing stand-up. Very cool. Yeah, the world-famous comedy store. Mitzi Shore and Polly Shore, Andrew Dice Clay. Holy cow, the list goes on and on. That had to be a fantastic place to kind of learn and hone the craft of comedy and just to be around all those kind of big names. Well, they weren't big names back then. Um, Right. I mean... I was one of the MCs. I did everything there. I was like a utility guy. So I was a regular comic. Oh. I got spots. I was an MC. I hosted shows. Very cool. Um, I wrote for other comics like Leno and Arsenio. Right. Um, and that's just within the comedy store. I was also an actor with an agent uh, who had an agent. And uh, and I lived at the house, and I was doorman for three months, and I answered phones for a month. So I, Very cool. I was part of that scene. But the biggest, the stars... The stars at the time, it was interesting. This, there, there were the established, incredible stars like Robin Williams and Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, who would come into the club, who I knew, who I'd bring on stage, who I was on stage with a couple of times, and 
the audience went nuts, you know, they did not know that they were coming. coming. They thought they were going to go see a comedy show, and then these giant names came on stage. Um, but it was also watching Gary Shandling and Jim Carrey and, and oh, uh, yeah. Roseanne, watching all these people before they made it. And it felt like, it really felt like, Ian, it really felt like this is one of those really special times in American culture. Uh, even world culture, you know, I mean, I used to compare it at the time to the jazz scene in New York and Chicago in the 1950s or the existentialists in Paris in the 1920s or uh, Carnaby Street, London and the rock and roll of the 60s. It, it felt we knew it that this is a once in a lifetime time, not just for us. Wow but for the world. Everything was exploding. And you learn by watching, you learning, you learn by performing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, those were the days. Oh, I'm sure. And being that, um, <clears throat> you know, it's been so long since we've talked, some people that you've been involved with have passed on. Uh, Joan Rivers and Jerry Lewis were the ones I was thinking of. Uh, in general, well, I only I only met Joan a couple of times. She, okay. she, uh, she, she very much liked my my friend Tomio Otsuki, who's a Japanese comedian, who's a very good friend of mine, who did one of my jokes on the Joan Rivers show in her standup. Nice. Um, and then I met Joan in New York at at, at the Chelsea Hotel where, where I lived. But um, uh, who's the other one? Jerry. Nice lady. <laughs> oh, that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I was I was really surprised that Hollywood seemed not to uh, give a shit when he died. Um, I mean, I kind of wasn't because he had so sullied his name by right. being, you know, this overt jerk about uh -huh. women and gay people, and he was like this turned into an old, you know, a really weird guy. Um, wow. But. You know, I, you know, I mean, I didn't consider him a friend. Not really. He Why? fooled me for a while. He fooled me for a while to get the, to get the London trip and his fantasy of playing the London Palladium. He pretended to be my friend, called me every day, but he wasn't my friend. He was just using me. Yeah, I didn't mean friends like as much as people you'd worked with, but it's, it's unfortunate. Oh, yeah. So you've worked with some very interesting people, some which have passed away since we last talked, including Joan Rivers and Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Again, I did not work with Joan Rivers. Okay, I'm sorry. Why? Well, that's I right. wrote a joke for a friend of mine who was on the Joan okay. show, and I met Joan <clears throat> in New York. Um, although, the talent coordinator for her show... Uh, who I auditioned for the show, didn't get on the show, but he he uh, headlined me throughout Canada a few times. So that was nice, because he owned all these clubs in Canada. Very cool. But people who passed on since uh, uh, quarantine, I couldn't possibly, I mean, uh, who are we talking about? Norm? I, I mean, I met Norm in Canada, <laughs> but I didn't really know him when he was famous. I'm trying to think of who else. 
There was a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, famous and whatnot that, that passed on due to COVID. Um, but, wow, we're already 12 minutes in. Um, I was trying to think of a couple more before we wrapped up. Um, <clears throat> could you go into a little more about the, the, the Jerry Lewis incident, as I'll, as I'll call it? Well, it's a very long story, but I'll give you the 60-second version. Okay. Uh, I created and produced a series of giant comedy gala benefits for a drug and alcohol charity launched in uh, launched by Princess Diana that helped real drug addicts because I did an act where I'd say I'm addicted to the laughter and I have to quit. And I hooked up with them through a third party. And I produced uh, two big galas and then the following year I was taking, I was upping the ante and, and uh, taking it to the London Palladium and filming it for television and had a bigger budget and uh you know, Jerry Lewis came on board, and we've got 15 seconds left in my 60-second anecdote. Basically, uh, he was multi-personalityed and helped and didn't help and pulled out of the show and tried to sabotage the show and then faked his collapse mm. on stage and made international news. And he left me holding the bag. Yikes. But it's a lot more complicated than that and a lot funnier than that in the longer versions. And then I went on to do a one-man show the following year at the Edinburgh Fringe and then uh, connected with an Oscar-winning producer. We wrote a screenplay, and there's been a lot of interest. But, I mean, it, it, it's much more to it. This it's, it's the whole summer leading up to that production and just dealing with, like, the craziest man in show business. Wow. And that was Jerry's point of view. That's interesting. It's interesting that you're not paying attention. Because that joke was, and that's Jerry's point of view, meaning that I was the craziest man in showbiz. Yeah, that's something. That joke doesn't seem to ever work. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's very, very long and complex. If people go to my website, I hate to say it, but if they go to my website and they go to uh, stand-up storytelling one-man shows and they look up uh, breakfast or I eat people like you for breakfast, it's all explained right there. Um, but it was basically, you had, you know, a 40 year old guy like in me who had some accomplishments, but never really went anywhere. And then you had this giant comedy star icon who'd done everything and also was the bad boy of Hollywood. And you throw them into the mix, throw those two elements into the mix and and you're going to get some fireworks, and that's what happened. And there was a lot of yelling and screaming and crying and laughing, and, and it was like a giant chess game that of, you know, kind of clue, you know, Agatha Christie-like, or what's he going to do, how am I going to outsmart him, and how is he going to outsmart me? You know, that, it was that kind of thing. Now, did you grow up, like, watching or idolizing, to, so to say? Yeah, work? I mean, you know, his films, yeah, of course. Absolutely. See, I you know, think that... Forget, I, since I grew up in Beverly Hills, I was kind of inured and immune to uh, celebrity. I was always a bit skeptical about celebrity image cause, because I grew up in that world. Um, but, yeah, it was a very big deal for me to meet Jerry Lewis. Very big deal. And, you know, not just thinking, oh, how's this going to help my career, but just, right. Wow. That's Jerry Lewis. 
Yeah. You know. I think it, and I think it's got to add so much more pain and torment to the whole experience how it worked out because you did grow up enjoying his work. Totally right. I think totally you want to and correct. You want to feel yeah. like these people are your idols and that they're bigger than anything and they're above bullshit, but at the end of the day a lot of them are maybe more entwined in it than you and I. Well, here's the thing, at the end of the day, he cost me a lot of money and my business. And wow. I say a lot of money, like well over $200,000. Holy cow. And when I say he cost me, I mean, he purposefully fucked things up and sabotaged everything. Um, although it could be argued that he couldn't help it. He even warned me. He said, look, Stephen, I know I'm crazy. Run away. Trust me. Oh, wow. No, Jerry, I believe in you. They said I was crazy, too. That kind mm. of thing. Wow. Um, so, it was very frustrating and very disappointing and very confusing. Uh, you know, and ugly. Just ugly. You know, just like, ugh. I don't, why? What? You know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> well, something that's happened since, if I get my friggin' phone to work right here, uh, something that's happened since we talked, you were in a film um, called Hail Caesar. I'm sure it's a small role, but um, an Israelite. Uh, what was it like working on that? I was an extra. It was extra work. Um, and, but it's fun, I tell you. You know, I mean, I did that like six years ago, and, you know, aside from getting up with the, you know, in the middle of the night, which is supposed to be morning, um, <laughs> you know, you get costume, you get two big meals, you hang around. It was trippy. And, you know, like in the studio, there was like a whole section of the, uh, of the actors who were playing centurions there where, you know, like Clooney, George Clooney was a centurion. You know, you wear, you, know, you wear that kind of red feathery silver armor kind of thing. And I was an Israelite, as you mentioned, you know, uh, big hair and beard and a brown robe, you know, look like something right out of the Bible. Um, so it was kind of cool. And I, I joked around with Clooney at, at one point, made him laugh. And uh, Scarlett Johansson was on the set. And uh, even though, she, yeah, she was in the film. And... Uh, you know, it's just a day's work and, and not terrible money. But I, you know, again, I was an extra. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, you had a great experience and you met George Clooney. I mean, how many extras can say they did a movie with <laughs> and met with, with George Clooney. Yeah, that's, that's quite around. a big, that's a big thing, uh, Stephen. He passed me by going in and out of the restaurant. I was going in, he was coming out. And, and uh, you know, he had on his big red cape. And I said, you know, looking good, Superman. And, you know, he said, you know, that's what they call me, you know, all the time. They think I'm Superman, you know. So it was, he was joking around. Wow. Well, uh, we're almost out of time. What does the future hold for you, Stephen? Death. <laughs> More besides that, the, the immediate future. Illness. No, um... <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm trying to develop a couple of movies and work with some people. 
trying to get some films going, and and some of them make, making more progress than others. I have some comedy gigs. One's next week. Uh, I, I'm really what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to get my one man show out of Los Angeles and out on the road. I snagged some interest from a big comedy club in the Midwest, and I'll find out in a couple of weeks when that's scheduled in. Uh, so I'd like to, I really need stage time and I need it. You know, I want, I, I know I'm good. I know I'm really good. I, I know it. I am. I know I'm good. I know I'm good. But I also know I have to do it. I mean, it's just, I, it, it's everything I've been, I mean, that's a whole other subject of the LA comedy scene. Uh, but it is just so many comics and, uh, you know, everyone lies to you. <laughs> and so you can get really discouraged, but, you know, I'm trying to take take everything it, into my control, uh, which means producing my own shows. That's awesome. So I hope, I hope that's in the future. I hope that's what happens. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the meantime, I get by day by day and uh, try not to take anything too seriously because, Ian, never take life too seriously. You know why? You'll never get out of it alive. That's what I keep hearing. I've been to quite a few funerals and cemeteries, so I, I get the gist. But oh, I'm sorry, what's going on? <laughs> no, I just mean in life. I've been to a lot of in funerals, general. and I like cemeteries. I I, I find nothing wrong with with the exactly. historicalness of a cemetery. If you ever get to London, England? Go to Highgate Cemetery. That's the coolest cemetery. You know, I plan on it sometime because my my ancestors are from England. Okay. Does that mean you have uh, the both by, uh, or some kind of? You might have some kind of passport uh, upgrade or something. Oh, but, I'm uh, sure it was multi generations ago. I think, I think, I think, I think but... the name of this is very famous cemetery in Paris, where Oscar Wilde, Jim Morrison are buried. Mm -hmm. I've been there. Wow, that's a cool one. That's a good one to go to. Anyway, I'll let you wrap up the show, Ian, with your inimitable style. Well, I don't have anything else to say. Is there any place anybody can contact you if they uh, need some jokes written or want you in a big budget Hollywood film? Well, they can just be comics. I write for a bunch of comics uh, currently. Uh, so, yeah, uh, StephenAllenGreen.com. It's also, if, you, if they go to LegendComedian.com, because I had that, that will link to StephenAllenGreen.com, because you can spell Stephen differently, Allen and Green, in three different ways each. So it's just legendcomedian.com. <clears throat> legendcomedian.com. That's legendcomedian.com. And now back to the Ian Boothby Show, <laughs> where he interviews cranky old comic Stephen Allen Green, who doesn't really want to answer any questions. And when he does, he won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's Stephen That's legendcomedian.com. Yes, and I tomorrow. Had, I just had to warm up here. Can we, can we start again? Absolutely. Alrighty, we're back. <laughs> Steven, thank you so very much for, for returning to the show, even though you don't remember the first one. It's been 10 years. It's all good. I'll never forget the first time I was on the Ian Boothby show. And you, you asked me for an 8x10, and I never got one to you. And I, if you still want a signed 8x10, yes, I'll absolutely. make it my, my uh, priority. If you uh, totally. message me your address again, and I'll sign it. I'll have them printed. It'll cost me a couple hundred dollars. I don't mind. Oh, no, yeah. not with all the money you're getting from residuals and whatnot, sure. Well, 
George Clooney. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, there's probably some Scientology in there. They have money. It's all good. Don't mention them. They tap my phone. Oh, and, uh, shit. I don't want to say anything bad. They're great. They're great. That's right. Scientology. All righty, Stephen. Enjoy the rest of your night, man. Hey, and thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh, Absolutely. Best of luck, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, it's legendcomedian.com. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Big thanks to Stephen Allen Green. We'll see you guys tomorrow. We're welcoming former WWF and ECW superstar. Remember the Samoans? The, the Samoans. Remember the Samoans? Uh, no, he is a Samoan who is a member of the legendary Anawahi family, which includes God, Yokozuna, Rikishi, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Shut the fuck up. You're right. Rocky Johnson. Holy cow, there's so many of them, but uh, it's going to be nice talking to uh, Lloyd again. We're like doing the, I've been doing this like nostalgia trip on the show where I'm just like talking to everybody I've bumped into in the past. But it's going to be great. It's always nice talking to uh, fun people. So we will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.